Welcome back to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast. Welcome back to the show. And today on the show, Chris Chandler Yates, an ex-New Zealand police officer who's now a burnout coach, helping people to also train for the police academy, helping people to find their why, but fundamentally trying to help first-line responders handle the day-to-day job, what they go through, preparing themselves through their career, um, you know, sort of tips and stuff that you didn't have when you went through it, mm. and then trying to make a difference in um, our first-line first, uh, first line responders throughout the world, uh, New Zealand yeah. and across in America as well. And um, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a huge passion of mine after I burned out real bad from all the trauma of mm-hmm. what I saw, which, to be perfectly honest, wasn't that high level compared to some of the guys that I talked to just recently in the yeah. U.S., um, but it's well needed and it's it's being recept- received pretty well. So. so, so a bit of a side question, just a little, a little yeah. f- a personal family question. Talk to me about this Chandler Yates thing. I know you did a, I know you did a, a podcast uh, recently uh, where you mentioned that you had to, everyone had to make sure they're both names so that both parents were happy. Talk me through that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, so I'm originally from California, <laughs> yeah. uh, Northern California, up in Reading. Uh, and my mom was a very successful chiropractor up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she had her own practice that was called Chandler Chiropractic. Mm-hmm. She met my dad actually at the opening of the chiropractic business. And when they got married, yeah. she didn't want to change the name. She didn't want to change the practice. So yeah. she was like, no, I'm, we're, we're <laughs> combining the two. So it's Chandler Yates. Uh, and I love both names. But, yeah, as a cop, having to fill out all that paperwork <laughs> all the time and writing out Chandler Yates, I, I, I swear at my parents quite often about it. But, yeah, so that's, and she'll be the first one to call you, right? Oh, she will, like she a, will. Yeah, I like, saw that yeah, little five uh, second you said on the, uh, in Facebook. The thing is, uh, we've, we've had conversations about this. <laughs> and, like, we've uh, during the pl- my policing career, we've had conversations about it. And, and she's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry for, you know, giving you the, the whole the two-barrel name. And I'm like... It is what it is. I mean, it, I, I'm used to it now, but yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, talk to me, California, New Zealand police. Uh, that doesn't really come into most conversations. Most people, no. you know, a, a police force. Yeah, totally. Uh, most of us, I think, as uh, as kids and guys growing up. I mean, I spoke about off air. We applied almost exactly the same yep. time. But how how to go from California not into America? Why? Why, yeah. Uh, so this is another story, which I don't think we have enough time today <laughs> to talk about. I was on a podcast. I think we went for like two hours talking about the whole journey. Uh, but uh, my parents, when I was 13, took mm-hmm. my little brother and I and put us on a sailboat in the Caribbean. And we sailed halfway around the world and yeah. ended up here in New Zealand. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, worse, worse upbringings as a teenager. Um, probably the reason why I didn't end up in jail or do something stupid. But anyways, <laughs> now I wasn't one of those people that wanted to be a cop. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to go, join the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And then I got to like six foot at 16. <laughs> and my knees will get taken off in an F-16 cockpit if I eject. So, or so I'm told. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to go into sailing. But mm-hmm. then I met a Kiwi. Yeah. And so my parents, I got citizenship with my parents here in New Zealand mm-hmm. uh, because I arrived just before I was 18. Uh, but then I met yeah, my now wife, uh, was dating her, didn't want to leave, decided not to go down the sailing route yep. uh, and was like, what am I going to do? Oh, police is fun. I'll go be like, and I say this to this day and anybody who's listening, you want to become a cop? Don't become a cop because of this reason. I wanted to be like bad boys and SWAT. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted the fun and the excitement, but yeah. at a core, I really wanted to help people, yeah. uh, but didn't have that deep purpose. And that's why I help people with yeah. that purpose now. And finding and identifying it because, yeah, it. Um, I joined here because it was easy. You know, mm-hmm. I was here. My wife was here, yeah. well, girlfriend at the time. And so, yeah, that's that's why New Zealand and not the U.S. And the opportunity was there, I guess. And it was 
pretty simple and easy for me to be honest. So let's just just go through a couple of just steps of people that's listening that might be of interest and so forth, or any one of your your people that you're helping as well. Is talk about New Zealand Police Force um, specifically. What is the normal process from an application? Just generally, like uh, just apply, or what what do you have to go through to go? Yep, you can come in levels acceptance and so yeah. forth. So we were talking about this before we jumped on air, yeah. uh, and you know it's different now than it was back when you and I applied yeah. back in 2008, 2009. Uh, so now what you do is you there's a few requirements. You have to be able to pass a fitness test, mm-hmm. and the fitness test is a 2.4-kilometer run, uh, depending on your age. It's a points-type system, yep. so you have a couple different variants. But ideally, women, you got to be able to do it in 12.15 or less. Mm-hmm. Guys need to be able to do it in 11.15 mm-hmm. or less. Uh, you then need to be able to do push-ups, so they're these wide, horrible, out wide at your elbow kind of <laughs> width uh, in a cruci- when you lay down in a crucifix. Um, and women have to do a minimum of 15, yep. preferably 20. Guys, minimum of 25, uh, ideally 34. Yep. And then you have a static jump, which is above your reach, so many centimeters above your reach, and then a grip test. So yep. you got to be able to fit, hit that. I always tell people, hit that before you even look at applying. Yeah. Uh, once you apply, then they'll do a initial um, little interview with mm-hmm. you. Then they'll do a bit of a medical-type side, um, quite medical questionnaire. Mm-hmm. You might have to go through and get things cleared off by physios, things like that. Uh, then you have to do a academic test from the academic test you then do and sometimes the process is different so yep. don't quote me on the, the <laughs> yeah. step by step how it actually works some districts are different um and then from there once you do that academic test then within eight weeks normally you're mm-hmm. doing your fitness test yep. and it can come around really fast mm-hmm. and people don't realize this and they go oh, i'll just do it on the day <laughs> don't 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 just don't uh you do the fitness test once you pass the fitness test then you get put into the background checks they do all the different all the really deep level stuff you do a final interview and then you get placed into uh the pool of people for wherever you're going now depending on where you're going like auckland can be really fast especially at the moment or different districts that need staff and then from there then um if you haven't done your initial pat or the Mm -hmm. fitness test uh within I think it's within eight weeks. You then have to go do a, a second one, a final one, mm-hmm. just before you go to college. Mm-hmm. And then once you pass that yep. and you have that date, you go, you're down at college, and then you got to do your PCT down there, <laughs> which is an obstacle course, but you never have to do that 2.4K running it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, prefer, I prefer the, the 2.4K, right? Uh, I me, actually, uh, they're different. Yeah. Um, one just gets the quads burning more yeah. of a hit workout. Yeah. Type said the two point four. I found both of them easy. I yeah. I always I always used to say, why aren't we doing the PCT with the uh, with a vest and boots and everything on? <laughs> I mean, that actually tests you. Yeah, but um, they don't want people to get injured. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, um, you know, so you you go through that process and obviously you go to the academy. Yeah. Um, and then it's a certain period of time. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it's sixteen six, weeks now. 16, it used yeah. to be nineteen when you yeah. and I applied. When I went through, it was nineteen weeks. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's 16 weeks now, and there's talk possibly making, I think, 17 or 18 again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, you come out there and you're straight, straight, on the, straight, straight on the beat, right? Straight on the street as, uh, you know, field training, and mm-hmm. you have a field training officer, and you're out there, and you're thrown straight into it. And, yep. Uh, I don't think they still do it. They might still do it, but they do station duty in the middle of it. And this is um, – I'm going to go a little bit off topic here, but just kind of bring in awareness for the audience that don't aren't aware of police officers and why I do what I do. Uh Police see 18 times as much trauma, mm-hmm. and trauma is different for every person, yeah. but they see 18 times as much trauma as civilian will in their first 12 months. It's crazy. More than, like, they'll see more than, they'll see 18 times as much as a civilian will in their entire life mm-hmm. in their first 12 months. Oh, there we go. That, 
It's Sorry. Just, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. So 18 times as much in there as, as a civilian will in their entire life okay. in their first 12 months. When I went when I went through, we do a thing called station duty where you come back, you work mm-hmm. in your station that you're going to be going to yep. for a week, and then you have a week off. In that week, my very first day on that station duty, we're not even a sworn officer yet. Mm-hmm. I went to a guy who had been dead for three weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. I graduated police college and I got held in the watch house where the, you know you book where mm-hmm. they book everybody yep. through. For those that aren't aware, uh, it was held there for four weeks out of six at Henderson because they put us at Henderson first because they needed some staff there to start with. And then I came out on the street in my second shift on the actual street, went to a guy who jumped in front of a train. It's crazy, yeah. <sighs> so and that and just puts it in for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. And, and we are not prepared yeah. for it. Like, I was 24, mm-hmm. thought I was Unstoppable. 10 foot tall and bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. I could run a million miles. I could do all these different crazy things. And all I did was I just shrugged it off. Yeah. And it builds up over time, especially if you don't have the mental tools to be able to actually process in your brain and, t- and, and debrief yourself even. Mm-hmm. Let alone if you know if you get a debrief, yep, would work. But you need to at least have some of the tools and to be able to shift the language and the questions that you ask yourself and how you look at things and actually look after yourself, yourself, which we're not really taught that worldwide. Yeah, most yeah most most places aren't taught that, but also not experienced that, right? So there's yeah. a thing is in the upbringing. So for example, my level of trauma or depth of trauma vary to yourself like i grew up in south africa so yeah. I, I grew up around violence and death and um stabbings like i remember when i was when i went back to south africa from new zealand and played rugby for a couple more years i played for a club um in the um in the township community i got asked by an expring the expring ball coach peter de villiers to go play for this one specific club and i actually ended up being the only white guy in the club um just to show that my um i'm happy to prof- to support my community, right? Yeah. Um, and and it helped a few tick boxes on my career. And as crazy as it was, it, it, we're end of a game and the boys were all having our beers in the showers. And they're like, hey, white boy, um, you know, wh- why don't you have any scars on your body? And I'm like, well, I haven't had anything. And and they, we sat there and each guy, one after the other, were like, cool, shot, stabbed, shot, stabbed, shot. Yeah. We had one of our guys, his nickname was Steps, um, got shot during the season through the neck. And by the end of the season, it was back playing on the field again. And it was like, yeah, stock standing. And this is where perspective comes in. And, you yeah. know, I just spent uh, two and a half months running, you know, going around the United States, running trainings for, burn, you know, burnout elimination trainings yeah. and that into the U.S. and, you know, working to get my program in there. And that was one thing that some people were like, oh, you know, your partner getting assaulted and that throwing you down the thing is nothing compared to our, you know, partner <laughs> getting shot or yeah. being in gunshots and gunfire. And that I was like, but it doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah. It's trauma's, all board. Trauma's, trauma's trauma. Trauma's trauma, right? But it's, yeah, and it's just 100% of that, that, you know, trauma's trauma and that stuff. And that's why it's an interesting one, um, you know, in New Zealand. We, this, one of the most beautiful countries in the world, yeah. one of the most safest countries in the world. The last 12 months have been a little bit different, but hey, let's just say. Um, so theoretically, most people here would have never seen a firearm, fired one, seen violence. Most of the people on my wing had never even physically held a firearm. <laughs> I can think I was I was the most experienced shooter in yeah. college. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's that perspective of where we're, where we're up brought. But at the same time, different people, depending on their upbringing yeah. as well, depends on it. Like everything that we are now is because of the things that happened for us, I say, but to us, yep. before we were seven, mm-hmm. it started everything. And how we actually concreted thing is, I had a privileged upbringing. Yep. upbringing. I grew up sailing around the world, not having to worry about a thing as a teenager. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like the dead bodies didn't affect me too much. 
I can connect with people. I could connect with Polynesians really mm-hmm. well because I grew up with them. Yeah. I understood them. But then there's other people that, you know, they buddy of mine from South Africa at, what was it, early 20s, came home and guy knocked his teeth out with an AK and all these different things. Yeah. That kind of trauma, that kind of stuff didn't affect him here, here in New Zealand. He's yeah. like, it's, it's safe here. <laughs> it's like when I was working doing insurance work for a little while and yeah. I get, I, they started sending me all the complaints to deal with <laughs> because I'd sit on the phone and I'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And they're like, how are you dealing with that? I was like, he has no gun to my head. Yeah. So it is that you do build that resilience yeah. over time. But if you're not taught how to process it and how yeah. to build that resilience, totally, the littlest thing is going to nail you. you th- so – do you think, what do you think from the processing specifically in New Zealand space, right? Coming into it, do you think there's a, there's a gap there that yeah. needs to, to need to lead in? So I know once you're on the workforce, and we'll get into that next of the, the daily tools and that sort of stuff, but just the entry tools. Cause if I think about our timing, 08, 09, when both of us were going down that path, um, there was a big flux of bringing it in. So there was also a big spike of your, you know, your payout the door, right? I yeah. think it came out and it was like, in you know, 08, that bumped it up and it was like 52 or 55K out the door, right? And you're thinking about it, it doesn't sound much today, but no. we are 15, 16 years on. I think minimum wage at that stage was like 35. So you it's were a, like... It's, it's only at 67 now. <laughs> yeah. So it, I know it hasn't grown much. <laughs> I know it hasn't grown much. But what I was saying is... When I sat down, and it's funny when I spoke to some people at that stage, it was like, "Cool, I have no, I have no idea what I'm going to do in life, so I'm going to jump here because the meal ticket off the back yeah. of this, guaranteed, is really cool." Yeah. There's a 19, 20, 21 year old, or I'm lost in my twenties and I'm going to go enjoy it on my thirties, like I was. And um, and to me, that was where I found where I felt there was almost a, a risk. And like mm. I said, people are coming in not because. They've had the tools and the stuff coming into it. They're coming in as an opportunity for a paycheck and not realizing this paycheck comes with a fucking lot of issues. Well, you're seeing now more because of media, because yep. of the U.S. Yep. in the last three years with a lot of the stuff. You know, the U.S. has got a massive problem right now with recruitment. Yep. They can't fill mm-hmm. training classes. Here in New Zealand, we haven't hit that, have that, had that hit yet yep. because we haven't had any anti-police major mm-hmm. type side of stuff besides maybe the protest down in Wellington yep. and that. But – you still have a lot of people wanting to become cops because they want to become cops. Yeah. Yes, you have that financial side of these young guys. I mean, I'm most, of the, most of my clients that I've had, you know, the 600-plus clients that I've had in the last mm-hmm. five years, they're in their early 20s. Yeah. And it is a, you know, guaranteed pay and blah, blah. And I, I question one. I'm mm-hmm. like, you're not going this for the pay, are you? Yeah. Because if you're going for the pay, you're going to be so very disheartened yeah. very quickly, and you're going, to go, you're going to want to jump to Australia where yeah. they're paying, you know, another 20% more. Yeah. But um, it's really digging into that purpose. And there is that side of stuff of it is a secure pay, it is yeah. a secure job. You saw a massive influx when COVID hit mm-hmm. of guys coming back. Yep. Anybody who was twelve months that had like left the job within twelve months was yep. all asking to come back because it's a secure job. Yeah. You're not going to lose it. You yeah. have to have cops. Yeah. And so you do have that, but if you're joining because of that, don't mm-hmm. join. Mm-hmm. And I had a guy that I talked to just the other day, and I was like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm making this much per per fortnight, and doing this kind of stuff. And he's like, I want to join the job and you know, it'll be a secure job. I was like, you do realize that you're going to take like a 40% pay cut. Yeah. And you're wanting, you're telling me you want to save the money that tight right now because you're wanting to save for a house. <laughs> I was like, really think about that. Mm-hmm. Does your purpose outweigh the financial need? Yeah. Cause if it doesn't, don't do it. Mm. But I, if I, your purpose is so deep and so big and you can tie that purpose to it, then go. Yeah. That's so true. Um, you know, so w- so obviously there's, you know, coming into it, there's, there needs to be stronger pieces and all the rest of it you feel at the moment. 
what through, you know, obviously through your first couple of years or your first couple of weeks, even on or before, you know, all that sort of trauma, what is the big things for you to see for anyone that's sort of in that, let's say the first 12 months, what's key to um, new police officers um, around that space that, you know, from the burnout point of view, you think is critical for them? Key thing is uh, your routine, your schedule and your self-care. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the three most important things that you have that you build a foundation before you get in. Yep. Uh, your schedule is really important. Know your schedule. I mean, as a cop here in New Zealand, at least, you know you're doing a 2-2-2 roster. Two earlies, two lates, two nights. Yep. You're going to then have three to four days off. Mm-hmm. Plan your schedules things out. Literally put it in your phone and schedule it out. <clears throat> your routine. Have a routine. What do you do? Do you go to the gym? Do you, you know, on your, on your early shifts, you know, if I think back to mine, I did have a routine, yep. but I didn't know I had a routine. And bring awareness to all this stuff. Your routine on an early shift. Are you going to get up at three in the morning and go to the gym and, and train, or are you going to go to train afterwards? Mm-hmm. Make sure you have fitness in that life that ties into the self care. Your routine. What are you doing straight after work to decompress work? Yep. What kind of anchors, as I call them, are you doing to actually leave most of work at work? Mm-hmm. What things are you doing to communicate to debrief yourself? Yep. If I had to say, I'd tell, I'd have every single section, every single unit debrief at the end at least for a half hour kind of like an aa meeting mm-hmm. circle where you just go through <laughs> yeah. how did you guys find the shift what went well what didn't go well and how can we improve mm-hmm. both mentally and physically yeah. and then self-care have your you know your daily self-care stuff have your momentary stuff have your monthly stuff have you know what are you doing for fitness what are you doing for nutrition all of it matters I, when I when I present this and when I teach this, I talk about like you nutrition side. A Ferrari, you don't put eighty, you don't put like eighty seven or ninety one octane in. Yeah, you put ninety five in it. Yeah, an F one, you would not put normal <laughs> pump gas into. You put race fuel into. Yeah. Well, now they're electron, whatever, whatever they're putting in. It. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're putting, you know, you want to perform at a high level and you want to do this job for yeah. a long time. Feed yourself like it. Mm-hmm. There's tips and tricks. You know, you can cook chicken, and in the middle of summer I wouldn't do it, but you can cook chicken and rice and stuff, and you can put it in your duty bag and have it in the back of the car because there are times where you won't get back to a whole 12-hour shift, mm-hmm. never get back to the station. 10-hour yep. shift, never get back to the station. Uh, then your, your fitness, how are you training? Because how you train your body disciplines your mind as well. Mm-hmm. I train every single day in some capacity. And it's and that's different to being on the beat, right? And yes. that's a that's a big difference as well to find out that being on the beat doesn't mean that's oh I'm I'm that's walking not my, your training. I'm walking thirty thousand steps no, doing that. That's not your training, no, right? No, you need dedicated block of training in yep. your schedule that is training. Mm-hmm. Something. You can even do I I interviewed a guy, Paul Butler from Australia, mm-hmm. he's a performance coach, and he talked about the importance of just doing ten to fifteen minutes of high intensity training yep. at the end of the day mm-hmm. whether you're office worker whether you're a cop doing yep. it at the end of the day after your shift just 10 minutes it burns off cortisol levels and it also um recharges your endorphins mm-hmm. so like your adrenals and that recharges them because if you're a cop you're running on adrenaline almost 24 yep. 7 you got to switch it off right and you've got to learn to switch it off this is why i teach people how to do an anchor it could be uh driving into the station it could be unzipping the vest it could be you know the handle on your mm-hmm. on your car as you go into it. leaving the cop chris yep. or the cop lawrence or the cop whoever it is at the station yeah People talk about doing it as you drive into an area, and the cops that I've talked to that do that, they'll be off duty, mm-hmm. and they'll drive through the area, and their partner can physically see a change in them. 
because they've because they anchor right because they've anchored that they've programmed their body to anchor in when i come into this area i switch on let's just go a little bit more into this anchoring thing i think this is really important not just for you know first uh, first line responders i think this is really important for everyone right um from an anchoring point of view so uh, so anchoring fundamentally is uh, it's an action i perform to switch on and off yes right so i i walk in and i switch myself on for whatever activity i'm going to do and at the end of the day it's the it's the action again i perform to switch myself off and then i can walk away right um and, and and it can be as, like you said, it can be as simple as uh, a motion, uh, a, a tick, something I physically do, uh, a movement. I know, yep. you know, I think you've spoken about doing like a movement as well. You yep. can do a movement as well. I pound my chest. I, I pound if, if, chest I need, if I need to get myself driven, directed, and pointed, yeah. I pound my chest yep. because I've anchored that yep. in through move, through training. So yep. I'll go for runs, and especially if I'm having one of those days or one yep. of those weeks where it's like shit's just not going right <laughs> yeah and i need to stay driven yep. directed and pointed i'll be like i i command my mind and body to be driven directed and pointed i smack my chest well smack, <laughs> smack the microphone as well smack my chest yeah and i say who raw at the same time yeah. so i'll literally do this so i have a video that that's me saying who raw like if you want to get started let's say who let's go yeah who raw and so it's it, who raw is it and it's also that action of pounding mm-hmm. my chest because it does, it anchors you into that being, but you have to bring awareness to it. And it's not like I can just go, oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna unzip my vest and I'm gonna leave it at work. No, you have to be conscious of yeah. it as well. Yeah, you got to, you got to. It's funny. You got to program you gotta, it. Yeah, you got to program it. Um, to anyone that's listening or watching that in the. Uh, big Tony Robbins, I'm yep. a big Tony Robbins same, fan, right? Yeah. Right? So he does anchoring at his events, um, and fucking I hate <laughs> bagpipes. No, I don't have bank vibes. Um, so he does emotional anchoring and memory anchoring. Um, Sorry, real quick. Which events have you been to? I've done UPW quite a few times and I crew at them. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I did Date with Destiny. Yeah, so I got free tickets for Date with Destiny and then obviously COVID hit. Oh. Uh, so I went, um, so I'm going in Sydney in September. I'm going back to Sydney because it's UPW in, uh, in Sydney. Yeah. And um, I crewed there um, 2019 after my brain surgery um, and then I got, I got given best of crew. Oh, so wow. out of the 300 crew members, I got voted to best of crew. And then they gave me a Date with Destiny ticket. So uh, I can't, I haven't done UPW. Does he do the freedom thing in UPW? How do you mean freedom thing? So in Date with Destiny on the relationship day. Yeah. And this comes into the oh, anchoring yeah, side. Yeah. So on the relationship day during Date with Destiny, he does this thing where he plays the scene um, of uh, Braveheart, mm-hmm. where he yells freedom. <sighs> Oh, now my memory. And if you have watched, have you watched Braveheart? Oh, dude, I love Braveheart. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so in that scene at the very end where yeah, he yells freedom, freedom I don't care out. who you are, yeah. you get goosebumps yeah, yeah, because yeah. of the emotion and the power that, you know, that Mel Gibson brings through it. And so he does this on the side of bringing out that masculine side of mm-hmm. guys because mm-hmm. we've lost it. Yeah. And when you yell, like now, because I was there and because he has you do it a couple of times yeah. and he literally has the whole audience of guys yell freedom. Yeah. And, all the women in it get movement <laughs> because there is that, and you know, yeah, there's yeah, that buildup. And so now every time I hear f- the word freedom, it's like <laughs> that's an anchor, anchor for yeah, me. Right? It's an it's an anchor of okay, yes, I need to be the man that yeah. my wife deserves. And so it's it's that that anchoring side, as Tony talks about yeah. a lot, is is if you don't have some sort of anchor for things, you, it's like going through life without any kind of roadmap, yeah. without any kind of direction. Mm-hmm. And so as a cop, when you're in a, such a high-stressed yeah. environment and you're never going to turn it off, any person who tells you that you can turn off that yeah. thing, I've been out for five years and it is still on. <laughs> <laughs> but as I can switch from it. It's just like um, 
another another example is you know a lot of cops you talk to they don't sit with their back to the door yep i never actually got into that because my anchor is such which mm-hmm. i never realized until afterwards my anchor when i go into a restaurant mm-hmm. is to be with my wife you do realize where i'm sitting right <laughs> <laughs> i know i know yeah. but you notice that i i, I didn't yeah. say anything i didn't care yeah so it, it, so it's a very big south african thing right well there's that as well yeah. but and and here you know yeah cool it's your environment you mm. yeah perfect but at the same time it's like for me when i go into a restaurant mm-hmm. with my wife i rely more on my senses yeah and be present because when i'm present i actually am more aware, aware. yeah so if you this if this door and for the video you'll see the video if this door yeah was to move yeah or I was to hear something outside you'd see me look yeah because yeah okay cool but when I'm in a restaurant it's like I also was talking to somebody in Phoenix just recently about it it's you also can, my wife is more likely to pick shit up than I am <laughs> even if I'm sitting in the seat where you are yeah. where I can face the door mm-hmm. unless I'm staring at the door staring at every single yep. person that comes through but then I'm not what's the point of me even being out to dinner. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an interesting one because yes, um, I was raised that way, getting in South yeah. Africa, always sit <laughs> watching what's coming towards you, and um, let's just say you need that in that country. Yeah, um, and it still it still plays in. So it's like we walk into a restaurant, and it's funny enough, my uh, my wife will walk in, and then she'll look at the table, she'll look at the door, and she'll go, "Okay, Lawrence, you sit that side," <laughs> and she'll know exactly where to go down. But it's something to me. It's not something that is it's not a high energy conscious it's just yeah. a, it's almost an ease for me now so it wasn't it was an anchor at one point but now it's almost become a like a calmness in a weird yeah. way so it's almost become a cool if i'm not that way i feel uneasy yeah so i can't be present right so yeah. if i was sitting on your side i would have that just tingling in the back of my head going this isn't i'm not comfy well, well, what you've done is you've changed the anchor so yeah. you've changed the anchor of okay cool i'm sitting here and i'm present with my wife yep yeah. But I also am using my sixth sense on it. I'm not sitting here having to be vigilant yeah. on the door and who's walking through mm-hmm. that door. Whereas most cops you talk to have to be vigilant on the door, yeah. not on their partner. Yeah. Or the purpose of why yeah. they're there. We've seen all the energy. And all yeah, the they have, all through. their energy goes at that door yeah. and the, the, it goes there. Where And so they're distracted. It's like me. I don't like going into sports bars where there's TVs on the door. I will sit. I will physically sit and make sure that my back is to a TV. Because otherwise you're watching it. Otherwise. <laughs> and I'm not even a sports guy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's the psychology of it, right? Yeah. It's the psychology. I sit, I sit there. They put them there so yeah. you're watching the game. And so you stay longer. So you're distracted. So you drink more beer. Oh. and you, But – I will sit physically if I can. I'll sit with my back to the back to the TV, yeah. and I'll tell my wife I want to sit so that I, my back's to the thing, so I'm here with you. Same thing as m- for most cops with the door. I, I mean, it's so true on the sports one. It's quite funny. You, like most, very few people in the world love watching golf, right? <laughs> oh, but, put, uh, but unless you, know, you talk, unless, unless you talk to my surrogate dad. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying, like actually for watching golf on TV, right? Yeah. We all play it, whether we're good or bad, and stuff like that. We put it in the pub, and everyone's sitting going, "Oh, jeez." What's he gonna do? Yeah, and like watching three hours for five guys, and it's and it's funny, like you said, right? If you put it on the TV, it's just like, oh look, yeah, you put it there. It's, it's, it's entertaining. So yeah, so coming around to it, like you said, obviously, you know, your anchoring coming on and off um, in the um, in the day job and just on the force and stuff like that to to be important to get out of it. Um, and what what is the other big things you know around trauma? You know, you can't get a, we can't get away from trauma, right? There's no. There's no country, even in New Zealand, we've got a quite a bit of trauma happening at the moment. And and again, depending on how your glasses fold up as a youth, your 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 way you handle it can be yeah. you know totally different as well. What's the big things about managing and 
or understanding trauma first, I would say, would be the first thing. Mm. Actually going, yep, that's trauma. And then management from that. Well, if you get a physical reaction to something, mm-hmm. it's trauma. Yep. <laughs> In some capacity. Some trauma is good. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't have, if if you weren't afraid of a tiger yep. and the trauma of a tiger, yep. you wouldn't run from a fucking tiger, would yeah. you? <laughs> but at the same time, like seeing a guy's heart on the railroad tracks, yep. that kind of trauma for me, didn't affect me too much because I'd, I'd been around cadavers and stuff when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, okay, this is real now. Mm-hmm. Seeing the guy's body looking like a cadaver, it took me back to my childhood yeah. looking back at it. And it was like, oh, okay, this is okay. Th- this has nothing to do with me. There's no emotional connection mm-hmm. here. On the other hand, the notification jobs after going to suicides yeah. and not being able to help that person mm-hmm. and help them truly see themselves screwed my ass up. Mm-hmm. Not being able to protect my partner when she got assaulted and feeling like it was my fault, that screwed me up because I didn't know how to process it and I didn't know what the hell was going on and what it was linking to in my childhood yeah, or what it was linking to when it came to my purpose. So I help people really identify their purpose beyond religion, beyond family, beyond putting roof over the head, Mm -hmm. beyond helping people, which is a huge police one. I help you actually figure out where, where it can, like the childhood purpose. Yep. That actually drives us through our entire life. Mine is there's three subconscious levels. Mine's creating experiences and joy, creating less pain, and helping you then being seen. Yeah, that's why I love doing these podcasts because <laughs> my purpose is to be seen. Yeah, and so okay, cool. And it is. And then I've shifted the language again. It's a huge Tony Robbins thing. Shifted the language around that. So instead of me having to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. How am I helping myself and others truly see ourselves? Yep. So create a mission statement. So if you know those things, you can then start to shift the language and how you react to things. Because mm-hmm. now you can sit there and look at, okay, cool, yeah, I went to that dead body and, oh, my God, there's something in me that ju- it, something just didn't feel right. Okay, cool. Well, what is it about that that links to my purpose? Oh, that me, the fact that I went to the suicide and then mm-hmm. the notification job, the notif- I now know what happened at the suicide. And so I have even more of an emotional connection mm-hmm to the notification or the advi- the advising job. Because I know what that person's partner yep. looks like now as a deceased person mm-hmm. and what they did. And I have to hold that in and I have to keep it to myself. And I have to help that person truly see themselves right now in this moment and help them create and be in less pain. And how do we do that? So for me, that's mm-hmm. my why, that's yeah. my purpose. And so for me, doing that is actually being there. If I need to give them a hug, Give them a hug. Mm-hmm. That was one thing that I didn't do. <laughs> well, you didn't get. I had, I had no. Well, I or I didn't get. And so I had a sixteen-year-old girl who was blaming herself for her dad committing suicide. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was give her a big hug. All I did was put my hand on her back and go, "It's a, it's not your fault." Yeah. And it's I, almost like a negative emotion. It's it, almost like it, a negative support, right? Yeah. And for me, it was a negative support. I should have just given her a hug yeah. and been like, "It's not it's your okay. fault. Yeah. It's, okay. it's okay. What yeah. you're feeling is okay." Mm-hmm. And done everything in my power and knowing that I can only do what I know. The next thing as well is that I, w- that I teach is changing the language and the, the rules to things. Mm-hmm. And a neurolinguistic programming thing, it's, it's changing the rules of your values. But we're, what we're doing is we're changing the rules of what serves you and what doesn't serve mm-hmm. you when it comes to your mission statement yep. and your purpose. So, for example, uh, the big one at the moment, bosses don't care about me or the mm-hmm. bosses aren't around. Well, what's the rule to make it so that the boss is around? Mm-hmm. Does he have to physically email you personally and be like, 
hey, Lawrence, yeah. how's it going today? Yeah. Or is it just that he's got to you know, send an email out from time to time mm-hmm. or whatever it is? Make it really simple and really stupid. Yeah. You know, just make it simple. Otherwise, if it's too complicated, then you're, it's never going to be met. And so it's changing that language and stuff on how you focus on things so that you're fulfilled each day. So mm-hmm. you're you're easily filled by the job. Otherwise, the job will drain the crap out of you instantly because there's so much going on. So I know I know with yourself, there's a couple of things I just want to go through on that one. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you found your trauma and unsure how to handle it, you you went down a path of I'm gonna call it addiction because you went into fitness, right? Yeah. But it was your addiction. Anyways. I was already in it. Yeah, yeah, you're already in it, but you utilize that as your way. Is almost like your way out or escape. You, you escape, right? And it and become your addiction because most people, um, you, you like you find a lot of people that can't switch off. So, the the to anyone, it's a big fan of like those, um, extreme jobs, right? The the crab fishing and all yeah, those yeah, big yeah, boats, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because you see all of those guys at the extreme, and then you find out that most of them have addiction problems and get into drugs and get arrested because, again, it's the most, been most common them. most common addictions in law enforcement and in any kind of extreme thing is alcohol, drugs, gambling, uh, and um, sex. I was going to say prostitution. Prostitution, yeah, sex. It's, yeah, it's sex. Same, yeah. you know, some sort of thing. And so it turns into adultery. It turns into cheating. Yeah. It turns. I almost cheated on my wife and caught myself mm-hmm. and didn't. And that was what shifted and changed my whole trajectory of everything. That's why I'm not a cop to this day. Yeah. Because that happened. I didn't go down the bottle or go down the end up cheating mm. because of my parents. Mm. My parents used to drink, fight, and they cheated on each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I swore to myself yeah. as a young age, I'd never do that. Instead, I went into the gym. Mm-hmm. I could throw, throw things around. I did a post early on in my um, social media this, of some boxing gloves yeah. saying, oh, my God, I can actually bo- I can actually hit the bag without being angry. Yeah. This is weird. Because <laughs> I used to go hit the bag yeah. because I wanted to let shit out. Yeah. I used to throw weights around and make lots of noise and grunt because I wanted it. Now I go to the gym because I bloody enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, because we need to be we need to be show, showing those stuff, and that's the problem, right? People in society at the moment go, and then they don't get taught or give the guidance, and then they find a path which becomes the addiction. And yeah. normally, majority of times, it's never beneficial to them. No. Um, as well as, I mean, it can be as, it can be as simple as we've seen um, just in the news today is um, our drug. Uh, not drug, a uh, 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 gang increases and the rest of it, right? Fighting, fighting in that community, right? So then there's that whole thing of I don't have something, I don't know how to handle it. So I'll go in, not utilize something, but I'm going into a, a space where I feel that I'm safe. Where you're seen. You know? Yeah, yeah, you go to a space where you're seen. So I've said this for a while and I didn't realize it while I was a cop, but people go one of two, like gang member, all they've done is gone down the road of the gangs because they want to take things they they want to take their trauma mm-hmm. out on other people. Yep. A cop goes into the police because they want to help prevent or overcome the trauma that's happened to them. Mm-hmm. Training and working with over 600 people in the last 5 years, I've realized that every single cop goes into the police wanting to solve a trauma that's happened to them or that they've seen happen that's caused them to shift in their life. Mm-hmm. For me seeing my parents fight and seeing my parents have domestics, mm-hmm. I wanted to help stop that. Yep. And so I was like, law enforcement will do it. When I saw the train crash that happened in LA that changed my that made me go, I'm joining the police mm-hmm. and seeing what the cops were doing, it was a trauma that I saw. Yep. Whether it's through the TV or not, I saw it and it reinforced my traumas from my from my childhood going, police solve problems and they create less pain. Mm-hmm. My part of my why. Yep. I'm going that way. 
Now, if I had been involved in and you know hated the world and was you know the trauma had caused all this pain and I went down that anger side, gangs could have been down that road. Yeah, they could have been on that trajectory. Some sort of gang. The place, as they told me at college, is the welcome to the world's biggest gang. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to say some stuff, but well, but 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 in some countries, but in some but no, but it is a gang yeah. that does good things. Supposed to. Supposed to. Yeah. The police do, so, do yeah. good things. There yeah. are countries, you know, yeah, yeah, we won't say somewhere. where, but I know where you're talking about, <laughs> that, that don't do so good, yeah. but, but they're necessarily supposed to do good things. Yeah. And they are a gang. Mm -hmm. I have connections in the U.S. I've never met people. I, I wouldn't stay with people that I'd never met face-to-face, -face, just virtually. Just because. Just because we're cops. Yeah. It's a brotherhood, right? It's a brotherhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same as the gangs. Yeah. <laughs> but the gangs are doing malicious things mm -hmm. and they're doing bad things under some prefaces that they're good. Whereas the, the, the police are upholding and they're, they're the enforcers for the government, to yeah. be perfectly honest. But they're doing overall more good than they do bad. Yeah, true. Um, your, this mission statement, going back to your why, right? Yeah. Is, is there, from your thought, is there a more caveman mentality behind that? You know, they talk about the whole, we still caveman, we are, we are still caveman, women, whatever, you know, want to be that and understanding us, our, ourselves as an individual yeah. and how we've evolved, but we haven't actually evolved that much. Yeah. And that's where sometimes there is a misalignment that, hey, you as a, as your, as a human being and, um, in your brain is still wired to back to that way. So working with people and their mission statements, does it does that link in at all to some of it? I've never thought of it that way. Good question. Um, I would say so because it simplifies things. Mm -hmm. If you go back to the caveman, we're very simple. Yeah. <laughs> and we forget that sometimes. And we forget. Yeah. We try and overcomplicate things. Yeah. And I remember I had a defensive a CQB trainer and he used to tell us, stop complicating it. Mm -hmm. Stop putting in the complicator and spitting it out. Yeah. And I was like, and recently I've been thinking about it. I'm like, we do. We overcomplicate everything. And so we create all these meanings to different things. And as Tony Robbins says in that, and as even I'm saying it a lot, we're meaning-making machines. Mm -hmm. You know, you see somebody in the gym or you see somebody at a party across the room and you wave at them and they don't, then they, they turn around and walk away. Mm -hmm. We make a meaning of that. Yeah. That person doesn't like me. Yeah, they're rude. It, they're right. next, yeah. All these interpretations. They didn't even see you. And most of the time they didn't even see you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yes, making that mission statement and tying it back to, again, not tying it back to something that you're making up. Because yeah. your brain knows the difference between when you make something up. Yes, you can bring something in place with enough effort, with enough you know, anchoring, with mm -hmm. enough you know, passion. But if you go back and you find where it actually stems from and that first that emotion that links to it and you're talking to that younger self, well, it's already happened. Mm -hmm. And so when you bring that back and you put that into your mission statement, one, you're keeping it simple so you have something really quick and easy to grab Dude, onto yep. it. Really good anchor, something to grab really quickly. How is this helping me truly see myself and how is this helping me help others see themselves? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. I can actually turn up fully. And it comes back to my childhood. It comes back, for me, it comes back to, and I've dug into the exact experience in that and I don't take people through that except for the higher level clients and that. Because it takes a bit more of a process and you got to kind of coddle them, you know, hold them in a safe space. But mine goes all the way back to my dad going to chiropractic school when I was like one and a half. That's crazy. And him being gone during the week, coming back on the weekends and being gone during the week yeah. for however many years. Meant nothing. Yeah. But my one and a half, two-year-old brain made it mean something. Mm -hmm. It made it mean that I wasn't seen by my dad. He wasn't around. I was in pain. I don't like this. Yeah. 
I'm not having fun. When I'm with my dad, I have fun. I'm, I feel like I'm being seen, mm-hmm. but he's not around. And so it all stems from there. And now I go, oh, okay, cool. Well, now when I'm feeling like I'm not being seen, it's actually most likely my one-and-a-half-year-old brain yeah. making meaning. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yes, it's taking us back to that primal mm-hmm. stage so that we have something really easy sure. so it's not hard to, to grab onto. And then when we're in those traumatic situations, we can be in the moment – and as you probably know, wanting to become a cop, you probably do it quite well. And being from South Africa, we compartmentalize mm-hmm. stuff. But then we need to come back to it. And bringing that with us, it gives us an, an easy way to be able to compartmentalize it, debrief it ourselves if we don't have the facility to be debriefed about the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can move forward and be the best version of ourselves. Um, so one thing we didn't cover off, so how long were you on the force? In Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. So I did everything from frontline did motorways for a year. Uh, chips. Yeah, <laughs> chips. Yeah, I, I, funny story on that one. I almost, when I left the place, uh, I was, my plan was to go back actually, and it was to go on to the, the, motor, the motors, uh, yeah. to go on to the bikes. But uh, so yeah, I did motorways for a year, went back to the street for a short time, and then I went on to protection services. So you, you, you were on John Key's service. Yeah. You were, so, so I looked at his house first, then I was on his service, then I was on Bill English service. And yep. during that time, got to work alongside and work with, um, like I got to work alongside the Secret Service, yep. being on John Key's protection when Biden came over. I mm-hmm. uh, got to work on the, the uh, Royals of the Netherlands when they were over. I was part of their protection mm-hmm. team, um, the Japanese Prem, and yeah, a whole bunch of other diplomats. Talk me through a little bit. So, um, total two different mindsets. Yep. Right. Totally two different things. Right. There's, two different there's, things. There's a vastly <laughs> difference from walking the beat down Queen Street to you know Biden coming over. Right. Yep. Um, New Zealand's still pretty safe and stuff, but just the the pressure and the rest of it. And I think this is really important to people, irrespective of uh, frontline or where they are. Is there's they're doing they've got two parts to their career. The first part, and then there might be a second, or as they're going through, but each one is its own block and its own, and it has to be managed and understood yep. as its own, right? Now, obviously, like doing when you go um, working on those details, you know, what is the management style? How is it different? Or did you have any and know how to handle yourself, your 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 wealth, your not your wealth, your your wellness, and your you know your mental state and all the rest? Did you have those things yet, or is it still just all over the place? So when I was frontline. Uh, Obviously, the trauma and everything. I had my partner get assaulted about mm-hmm. a year in. Blame myself real hard on that, and I can pinpoint that job, that job happening, that incident happening to my trajectory of my career and happiness changing. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with that. Never got debriefed on it. Never got any help around it. Never talked about it. I'll go on that for a second. Communicate. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a cop, if you're anything. Communicate, especially with your partner. Tell yep. them how you're feeling, what's going on, the ins and outs. Be brutally fucking honest. Yep. You know, I tell all my clients, be brutally fucking honest. If you're having a shit day, say I'm having a shit day, but end it, spin it, like end it with a positive. What yep. your what action step you're taking mm-hmm. around that? Even if it's just, and tomorrow will be a better day. Yeah. Um, because I didn't on that. I had that incident happen. Came home, home, told my wife about it that morning. Told her what happened. Bawled my eyes out on the back steps of the, of, of my house. Didn't talk about it again until I came out of the police and was at Tony Robbins' date with Destiny. Yeah. It was like, holy crap, that's caused everything. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but as far as the difference in the jobs, again, you know, I'm going to relate it back to the trainings that I do. With having a purpose, I would have been able to do it. When I first started in Dip My mm-hmm. Protection, I had the purpose of I wanted to be the best person that I could be. I wanted to learn as much as I could. I wanted to be seen like mm-hmm. I wanted to see what I was capable of. 
And quickly, a lot of that stuff was getting shut down mm -hmm. because of the management that I yeah. had. No fault of their own. It's just what they Purchasing, were trained as yeah. well. And things were a lot different back then. I mean, I left in 20, I left uh, Frontline. I, I resigned in 2018. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a bit of time back. Um, but yeah, two totally different mindsets. Uh, protection and services. I went from the beat. You're looking for the profile of a yeah. criminal. You know, and anybody who tells you there isn't a profile of criminals lying, there yeah. is a profile of it because of who you deal, who, yeah. who is being arrested most of the time, who's causing the crimes most yeah. of the time. There is a profile to it. Just like there's a, you know, modus operandum of a crime and you look and you're like, oh, wait a second, this is happening. Wait a second. That person has a similar yeah. way that they cause a crime. When I hit protection services, I went from watching that profile to not having a profile of who's Everyone. a threat everyone everyone's a threat <laughs> i don't care who you are you're a threat yeah or a possible threat yeah you could have something on you i don't yeah. know what's going on and i throw myself deep into things when i do things so i went everybody's a threat it got so bad for me and by this stage i'd been to counseling twice yeah. been to a police psychologist because of the suicides and the notification mm -hmm. jobs and my wife and i struggling mm -hmm. like our relationship and that uh they were crap so on that if you're not feeling like you're getting the results mm -hmm. that you want or that um, your significant others seeing you yeah. don't rely on yourself because you'll block a lot of stuff out. If your friends and significant other ones are saying things aren't changing, go get a different one. Yeah. Cause those first two, even the police one fed into my wanting to run away. Yeah. Didn't actually recover, discover that I was burned out and mm -hmm. that everything was, and give me strategic tools and processes to change it. That I remember. Uh, but so I had gone through that and then I went to protection services to get away from the street because I wanted to start giving out street justice. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a street justice <laughs> guy. Uh, I hold, I've got honor and family tattooed yeah. on my arm for a reason. Uh, went to RSG, Diplomatic Protection, or Protection Services, and was watching everybody and it all came back because I had never dealt with it all. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff from my past frontline career. Was coming into protection services, coming all back with a yeah. vengeance because it was just sitting back in the dark, yeah. waiting. Came back with a vengeance, and it got so bad that uh, I was in California end of 2015 for New Year's. I just dropped my wife at the airport because I was going to shot show with my dad and uncle, mm -hmm. and I was driving to my my best friend's house in my uncle's pickup in his Tacoma or his yeah. Hilux, and I thought in early 2000 Black Tahoe was following me, so I pulled over and forced it to pass me. Overthinking things, right? That's how, like, yeah, like the difference. And mm -hmm. so there is different things. You're going to go through different things depending on what career you're in, what your environment's like. And if you're not vigilant with your mind mm -hmm. and your mindset, it will take its toll on you. Again, mm -hmm. that disconnecting from work, the when I'm at home, I don't have to worry about my back all the time. Yeah. Yes, I'm on protection services. And yes, there's more likely somebody's going to want to get to me to get to the prime minister. Yeah. But I don't have to think of everybody as evil mm -hmm. and it's a hard one to do. But again, going through that, being vigilant with your language, with your focus, with your, the way that you look at life can change it all. My wife couldn't leave the house without me telling her to, to watch her back. <laughs> and a lot of this stuff yeah. I don't remember because of a, a, a different time. Uh, well, no, a, a, um, a side effect of burnout is memory loss, mm -hmm. short-term memory loss. My wife would tell me to do something and I was so disconnected, so energetically gone yeah. that I couldn't remember that she told me to take out the trash in the morning and the afternoon. She'd come home and be like, oh, why didn't you take the trash out? 
And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You She's like, I asked you to take the trash out this morning. I was like, no, you didn't. Yeah, that happens with me. I'm just, I just don't fucking listen. So. <laughs> well, we, we do yeah. have that. We yeah, do have yeah, that so. as well. But the, and, the, and I'm partially, and I'm partially yeah. deaf, so I can blame yeah. it on that as well. <laughs> yeah. But there is that, you know. For yeah. example, that dead body that I said that I mm. saw the guy who's been dead for three weeks yeah. on station duty. I still, my wife still has to tell me to tra- take the trash out when it smells really bad because I can't smell nasty stuff because of the anchor. Because of the anchor of that, mm-hmm. my body reacted to the trauma and went, "Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> we don't want that." Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, look, it's one more thing before we run up today. We're being, um, going over 50 <laughs> minutes. Um, one question I want, one question I want to ask, uh, ask you, and um, you can say yes or no to, or you can answer this one question is, you said you've worked 600 clients. Yeah. Um, you've obviously go over the stage, you're doing a lot there. And we've spoken a little bit before, you know, there's people that join the police force, there's people that go to the gangs. I've got, a, I've got an opinion that there's a very, very, very small percentage of people that join the police force because they batshit fucking psycho. Oh, hell yeah. And they, and they want to hurt people. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. And so there's the 99% of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I'm just like, I've seen enough and, and been around enough to go, there is that unfortunate 1% that's fucking there for the wrong reason. Well, I bet you in your group of, in your circle of people that you know, there's one person that's like that, that you know, yeah. that you're like, I don't know why I hang out with this person because <laughs> they are nuts. Yes. Yeah. there's no there's no answers or buts about it yes what i would say on that is they didn't join the police because of that yeah they joined the police because the one percent of themselves or the 10 percent, or the Mm. you know the the actually you know i'd say more like the 70 percent of themselves is good yeah but because of the trauma that they've incurred in the past it's causing them to want to give out what i call street justice yeah and be like, well, the justice system isn't going to do it. And then they get reinforced with it because everybody around them is telling them, oh, you know, like in the U.S., they're calling it the revolving door. Yeah. They'll lock them up and they'll be out on the street before they even finish shift. Yeah. And, you know, and we've had that here for years. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, welcome to New Zealand's world. Yeah. Um, but, yes, so you have – you do have that. But I would say that they join the police because the subconscious part of them wants to do good. Mm-hmm. And if they're guided – and fed into that good part, you can counteract the bad part. Yeah. The problem is, is that most people just see them as a bad seed, and so they reinforce the bad side of them, the bad side mm-hmm. of them, the bad side of them. So what do they do? They become more. You become what you're shown. They become more and more bad. Yeah. Or they get a bad an FTO who's burned out mm-hmm. when they first start, and they're like, you know, and you do see that. I was watching a show with, um, oh, what was it? It was on the Boston Police. Uh, it was on. Was it on Neon? It might have mm-hmm. been on Neon. But I was watching it um, uh, before I went to the States a few months ago. And uh, I was watching it. And this cop, and he, they showed it. And I was probably one of the few that actually saw them the storyline mm-hmm. in there. He starts off as a go-getting love, like yeah. wants to make a massive difference, all this different stuff. And his FTO is a burned-out, cynical cop who's like, none of this shit's going to happen. The cop that – so he, the FTO trains this cop, the cop who was this go-getting Mm-hmm. wanting to help the community wanting to make the biggest difference ends up being the most corrupt cop in the boston police crazy because he was directed, directed in yeah. that in that way so it fed into the negative sides of him that of, he had the negative sides had, that yeah. he would have already had of mm-hmm. why he, a part of why he joined the police you don't go into the police because because you don't have any trauma yeah you go into the police because you want to fix something mm-hmm. and if you don't learn that early mm-hmm. on in your career or even before your career then you'll that that side will come out 
Yeah. Because sadly, evil has more power. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as my ther- my my counselor back when I was burned out was like, Chris, you got two sides. You got a dark wolf and a white wolf. Yeah. And people might resonate with this. You got a dark wolf and a white wolf. The dark wolf is loud as shit, but doesn't actually have that much power in what he says, but he says a lot more so that there's mm-hmm. more power. The white wolf sits in the shadows and sits there and waits until it's opportunity and then says something that has way more power. Mm-hmm. Which one are you listening to and running and, and actually taking action on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, so as we come to the end, uh, Chris, is there one more thing you can le- leave our audience with, uh, an insight or a tip or something um, for them just to think about going into the, over the next few days or few weeks? What I would say is think about how your tank is. Mm-hmm. Think about where your tank's at, where your relationship tank's at, and where your work's tank's at. Which one are you putting more energy into? Because if you don't have those three levels, as self is the bottom relationship slash family is second work is third mm-hmm. not diminishing any but filling up the self one first and the fullest you can't pour into an empty cup yeah and so if your tank is full and overflowing then your relationship tank is full and overflowing then your work you're going to do you're going to thrive and you're going to be enjoying work and you're yeah. going to love it for 20 plus years so yeah. how can you make that happen so true like i say you can't fill up someone else's cup if you're not paying attention to your own right yeah so thanks for that so much, Chris. And, um, and one thing, uh, where can we find you? So I'm on social media, um, all of them pretty much. Mm. Just look up my name, Chris Chandler Yates. If you're looking for fitness, it's Knocking Demon Fitness because it's taming those demons so you can yeah. perform higher. Uh, but Chris Chandler Yates on everything, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, yeah. uh, all of it. My website's Create From Y, W-H-Y, uh, createfromy.com, and you can find all sorts of cool stuff there. And I've even got a... Um, little guidebook to first responders uh that it literally lays out all my teachings uh and it's just create from y.com forward slash book yeah, that's amazing chris and thanks for that and to everyone else the the details will be in the description wherever you are um, listening from or watching from today and a massive thanks to chris for coming on the show and sharing his story um and as always i say at the end of the show look here i don't care about you know me saying go and share this and subscribe and all the rest of it. I care about taking something from the message that Chris said today. If there's someone else that you know that might benefit from the message, might need this, might need this as a guidance, and you're not sure how to support them, but you know they would need to do it, just say to them, hey, come on over, come listen to this crazy guy, Lawrence. He's talking to another crazy guy, Chris. You might enjoy it and stuff like that. This is how we can support sometimes by just nudging someone along a path and hopefully they can pick it up and get from the energy and from that and learn from it. But as always, um, thanks for coming over to the show and um, hope uh, you picked up something for today that can help you going forward in your day job or in your career that you're thinking about. And as always, hope to see you again.